Hello, hello, and welcome to another edition of Let Me Explain. This one, something of an extended chat. If you were listening to the Pat Kenny show this morning, I had an item on about TDs leaving politics early. The likes of Joe McHugh, Brendan Griffin, Owen Murphy voluntarily leaving politics to go and do something else at an early age. Dennis Nocton, the independent TD as well. And internationally, Jacinda Ardern, Nicholas Sturgeon... Also leaving the game early. Last week's episode looked at Sturgeon's replacement, Hamza Youssef, for example, if you want to scroll back for a bit more on him. So this one, this episode, an extended interview with the former Minister for Mental Health, Jim Daly. He retired from politics at the last election. He's now the CEO of the Irish Hospitals Association. And he's only 50, so still a long career ahead. And he has compared leaving politics to giving up smoking. Here's my chat with Jim. Firstly, how are you doing since you left politics? I'm doing very good, yeah. I'm uh, enjoying life post-politics. Uh, I was looking back, it was a, a big decision, all right, but I don't think I realised the gravity of the decision I took to leave politics. But I can honestly say that every day since I left politics, and it's almost three years really to the week, if you like, since I left politics, um, that I've been so grateful. I think it was without a shadow of doubt. I'd like to think I did a number of smart things while I was in politics for 16 years. But I definitely think the smartest thing I did was knowing when to leave as well. So bring us back into that decision. So remind us what went into your decision to, you know, to, to not run again, despite being in the ministerial ranks. Yeah. Um, so I suppose I had 16 years done in politics. I think I always remember the, the night I went over to Leo Vradker to tell him that it was my intention to leave politics um, at the next election. And I remember saying to him, Leo, I suppose becoming minister is very much about, you know, as much of what you can't do as what you can do. So what I mean by that is that I had in my head built up all these ideals that imagine one day if I was minister, I would. And I think as soon as I assumed the role of minister and albeit it was minister of state it still was you know minister of state for mental health and older people which is quite a big brief has a very large budget a lot of autonomy you are delegated a lot of functions from the senior minister and to be fair to simon harris at the time left me do very much my own thing so i didn't really need to see what it was like to be a senior minister i had a larger budget at the time than some of my senior ministerial colleagues there wasn't an awful lot to be gained from seeing much more, I felt I saw as much as I needed to. And I think it was very much, as I said to Leo Vratker that night, about, you know, what you cannot do. And that does become apparent when you're minister. Yeah, you have powers and you have, you know, things available to you and abilities, but there's a lot of restrictions and it's very uphill struggle to, to really make change. There's a very uh, robust system of governance there within the civil service, with departments, within the HSC, and trying to drive change through that as a minister is a real uphill challenge. So I think really from the day I assumed the ministry and I was three years in the role, it became more and more apparent to me all the time that, look, this is the holy grail that I had sought. I have arrived, if you want, for want of a better word. And I've you know seen what I came to see and I think I've done as much as I can do. And I potentially could do a lot more out in the, you know, back in the private sector again or out in the real world, at least. It didn't have to be the private sector, but just outside it uh, in the other world, for want of a better word. word. So I, I chose to leave politics. Now, there was also the backdrop of, you know, for personal reasons, I had a family. My, I always said that my uh, eldest son had grown taller than me and he was two weeks old when I made the decision to go into politics. So, you know, he was 16 or 17 at this stage and... 
you know, I could see I had five children. It was time to kind of, you know, West Cork is a long way from Dublin. You make, you know, you're on the road early on a Tuesday and you're home very late on a Thursday. And that's a good week. And then when you were minister, that went to Monday and Friday. And so, I, you know, there was a, a, a personal cost, I suppose, to a degree there as well. Um, And politically, after 16 years, I had um taken a very usual decision. I was a principal of a primary school. And I just decided to put my name in the hat locally for the uh, local election. And I got selected and elected and ended up, um, you know, just getting the very last seat in a seventh seater in the local election. And I very bravely resigned my position as principal and we almost immediately and said, you know what, I'm going to see could I become a TD. And that worked for me. And I didn't even take a career break when I look back on it. It was rather foolish. There's a big five or six year gap there for pension reasons and all that. But anyway, I, I don't worry about any of those things. They don't bother me. But I, uh, I I took that brave decision to resign my position as a principal in the school and to focus on becoming a TD. So it was about becoming a TD, which I did in 2011. And uh, then becoming a minister was the next step. And when I had that achieved, I suppose, no more than maybe my teaching career as a TD first, then I became principal. And when I had that achieved, so maybe that's, Something in me as well. Uh, I don't know. So maybe putting all those factors together, Sean, is a, a rather long-winded answer as to kind of to give you the background as to why I left politics. And I suppose when you talk about that, not even necessarily resistance is the word you used, but resistance within sort of the civil service or elsewhere. Like, how frustrating is that? And uh, was there an element of you that was like, well, look, you're going to be constantly banging your head against the wall rather than being able to change it as such? Yeah, it, it is really difficult. I mean, I, I, I suppose the best way to, to show you or to illustrate is give you a story of a narrative so, or a story. So one one of the priorities I identified very early on in mental health was that there should be a central phone line for all mental health queries. You have all these wonderful organisations promoting themselves and their phone numbers. You see it all the time in the list of numbers that have been up, whether it is a loan or a way or a paid house or jigsaw, or all, all the Samaritans, it goes on and on. So I knew I had this idea to establish a central number that anybody with a mental health query would ring up and say, my name is Jim Daly, I'm from Clonacilty and I have ongoing anxiety. I wonder what would be the most appropriate service for me and you'd be directed to them. And I set about establishing that phone line as minister and like it took every day of the three years of continually, you know, kind of coming up against reasons why that was not the right thing to do and not the best thing to do. And of course, I don't have a monopoly of wisdom, so you have to listen, you have to debate, you have to take on board uh, the objections and the the cautions of, you know, maybe uh, people within the HSE in particular. Um, but I, I persevered and I continued and I kept persevering and I kept looking for updates and sitting around with the team and they came on across so many difficulties that I kind of had to personally help them navigate. And eventually that line was launched and that mental health phone line is still there. I'm very proud of that achievement. Uh, to this day, I'd say maybe two weeks before I left office. So that's kind of an example of three full years. And there was a number of other, you know, things I, I obviously worked on abroad about. But that's just put it in context for you. As a minister, you can't just click your hand fingers and say, I want this done, go in, do it and come back and let me know when it's done. Uh, it doesn't happen as simply as that. So it is a tough space to be in. And then you have all the draws of the immediate to here and now, the accountability going down into the Shannon and into the doll and attending meetings and going to public meetings and you know, all the, the various things that take up a lot of time, which are very more reactive. Uh, so it's difficult to be proactive and and busy in that space. Uh, totally then about leaving office. Obviously, you had made the decision not to run again, but they kept you hanging on. They got the, the money's worth out of you with the, the extra few months the government formation took. And of course, 
it must have been quite a shock for you. You decided to do a big career change and then suddenly a once in a generation pandemic comes along. Yeah, it was. It was, um, again, if you look back at these things, you think, God, I was so pleased that he might have to do whatever I did. But anyway, so yeah, I announced my retirement for politics. I anticipated I'd be there a lot longer. The election was called, as people may remember at the time, there was a vote of confidence actually in the then senior minister for health. Um, and put down and the government chose to go to the country in February. The election could have been another year later than that. Um, so I was kind of had announced in September that I was leaving. This was February. And then uh, no sooner had the election been the 2020 election occurred. And I took a sigh of relief and breathed a sigh of relief. But there was a pandemic landed on the doorstep within a week or two of that or a couple of weeks, uh, and I remained on as minister uh, for six months, I think. Uh, it was about six months until the, until, sorry, it was until June, I think, uh, for four or five months um, during that pandemic. It was difficult. I was kind of locked down in West Park for most of it. I had very little business going to Dublin. I wasn't elected member. As soon as you announce your retirement or as soon as you were, you were gone, you are gone anyway. You know, the... the the events of the time were being managed uh, more by the senior minister, but I did have responsibilities. You know, um, I did a lot of Zoom calls, which, um, you know, I think back with the Nursing Homes and um, Nursing Homes Ireland and with the Public Community Care Ireland about home care and different things like that. But look, your 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 duties were diminished, of course, somewhat both by the pandemic and by the um, I suppose the fact that you're no longer an elected representative. You're not as as relevant to the decision making processes by the organs of the state. I presume as well, and it's not questioning motivation in any sense, but there was an element of, you know you're going, they know you're going. And yes, during that time, older people in mental health was incredibly important in those first few months of the pandemic. Yeah. To be fair, well, I, and I don't say it defensively, I don't think I had any sense of around God now or whatever. You know, you, you were eager to do as much as you could and to be as participative as possible. Um, but being down in West Cork was was a particular handicap, you know, and if you went to Dublin, everything was in lockdown there and there wasn't, you know, uh, meetings weren't being encouraged. It was all being done on Zoom, so it didn't matter whether you were in, in West Cork. So look, then the landscape changed as well, which made it more difficult for hands-on. Um, but look, I was, I mean, Minister Harris at the time obviously was, was all over the pandemic and was in very, very, very regular communication with me on a whole series of issues and fronts or whatever, but it was primarily by Zoom. And I suppose that that remoteness just, you know, added to the to a difficulty that was there. Since you've obviously done your voluntary resignation from politics, more have followed suit and indeed within your own party and Brendan Griffin and Joe McHugh. Why and Dennis Nocton as well, obviously formerly Finnegan, why do you think it is that more politicians are voluntarily deciding to leave office now? Um, yeah, it, it, I mean, it's interesting at the time. I remember some of my colleagues saying to me, you're crazy. You were, you know, when I announced that I was leaving politics, why you're, you're certainly on the, on the right trajectory and, you know, you'd be a senior minister in the government on the social. And, and I don't know if I could have been, I mightn't have been, I don't know, that wasn't, you know, it, that wasn't, uh, it was important to me. So they, at the time, they thought I was very foolish, but a lot of them came back to me after and said, you know, you were very, very, very courageous and you were very smart to do what you did. Um, it took a lot of courage. So I think people just, it's not what people think about a lot. You know, politics is about kind of the art of survival, really, more than the art of actually, so it's more of a reactive career. You're waiting on the 
the, the, the kindness of strangers to keep you in your job, essentially, and you're uh, going around knocking doors, you, you continue on the day-to-day basis of, of building that base, which when the day comes. Um, and I'm not sure that enough people maybe pull back and just take the time to think and to recognize what's really important in life and that you can become a slave to any career and you can give too much of yourself to anything. And perhaps the pandemic forced people into some of that thought process. So I would say that could be a precursor to some of the, the announcements that followed from Jacinta Ardern or Nicholas Sturgeon to Joe McHugh or Brenda Griffin. Of course, it's it's not, you know, lost on me the fact that the next two people to follow suit after me to announce a voluntary resignation for politics were Joe McHugh and Brenda Griffin. Because uh, I remember Leah Radford again mentioned those two names to be denied. I said about Levy, he said it must be so tough on guys like yourself, Jim, and I often think of Joe one, Brendan, who have a young family and are travelling from so far away. And that's a fact of life for a TD like Joe McHugh or for Brendan Griffin or for me myself, where you have a young family and you're just hauled to the other end of the, the country. And, you know, that takes its toll over time. I think it's certainly much, much easier if you were a Dublin-based TD or even a Mead or, you know, based TD or Kildare or any of those counties there on the peel. You're back in your own bed every night of the week. You'll see your kids in the morning for breakfast and, you know, some of the natural things that people take for granted. I mean, I think of the 16 years, I don't know that I make, I'd say the sum total of between five children, I may have made three Christmas plays, you know, in 16 years. So, you know, it, it takes its toll. And I think the pandemic gave people pause for thought and people recognise what's more important than running and racing, trying to please everybody and be all things to all people. That actually, you know, life matters and family matters and, you know, so on, not to take things for granted. So that would be my thought on it. Talking then about life post the doll, are you relaxed and zen and chilled out and has it made a difference to your life? Uh, yeah, it, it has. It has. Yeah. I mean, I, I can remember the just the freedom of, I always remember the day I announced it was a Friday morning, I think, you know, announced early on a Friday morning that my decision not to, and I remember that weekend being around and just, I could feel the freedom already within me. I remember being at Dunham Stores and walking into this gentleman, I don't know who he was, my local Dunham Stores, and he just turned around and looked at me and he said, they'll all be mad to vote for you now. And I thought it was, I thought it was so funny and so real and so, it kind of summed up a lot of it, you know, you're in the middle of all this Agro trying to get votes and all of a sudden you announce you're leaving and you know people are mad so there's a bit of that I smiled when I think of that and you know I, I now walk downtown and the biggest difference I've noticed since leaving politics is uh, my kids would not go anywhere with me when I was in politics for a finish they just refused point blank dad we won't go with you I was trying to of course double job so be a parent and keep my job going so I used to try and get them to go to Band and show or you know, something on that was on or the plowing match or the races or some event of a Sunday and or a festival or anything and get the kids to go with me. But of course, you were invariably just stopping, talking to everybody and you felt beholden to everybody. And people felt that when they saw you coming, they should take the opportunity to impress upon you whatever issue was bothering them or whatever thought they had on the news of the week or whatever need they had vis-a-vis a pothole or a medical card. So when they saw you, they saw that opportunity and they didn't want to leave it past, which I understand. I never was tempted, but my children did. And so for a finish, they'd go nowhere with me. And I, I noticed as soon as I'd left politics to the point of being annoyed, I can't get into the car. 
but there's one of the kids running out there. Where are you going, Dad? Where are you going? I'll go with you. I'll go with you. So that kind of puts it in the biggest change in my life post politics is that. But it is lovely as well, the freedom of. And like I see, you have to, you'd have to be a former smoker to know what it's like to be a non-smoker afterwards. And that freedom, you'd have to wear really, really tight shoes for a period of, you know, several hours to actually understand the relief you get when you take off those tight shoes. And it's the same with politics. You really have to be in it to understand what it's like to experience post-political world where you don't go around kind of saying, oh, you know, fake y'all, I don't care about you anymore. It's not that sort of a feeling. It's just, you know what, this is great. Life is lovely. And I'm not now constantly watching everyone to see did I walk past anybody? Did I not say hello to somebody? You know, I didn't, for example, like I'm very bad at people's names, really bad at people's names and faces. I'm kind of brutal. I was so good at people's names when I was in politics and so good at people's faces. I was just superb because I had to be. And that side of my brain seems to have gone completely into reverse drive. And I know I think a lot of people locally, if they're listening, please excuse me. They think I'd be great at not going, but I genuinely just don't know people anymore. Because it's not part of what I have to do. And so it's interesting, the life post politics that way. And look, I've been very lucky and I'm very conscious of that. I got to pick my time at choosing. I'm really conscious of the amount of my ministerial colleagues in the last all who lost their seat on the same day that I voluntarily walked off the stage. There was, I don't know, was there six or seven ministers between senior and junior that would have lost their seats at least, I'd say. So, you know, that's a very tough space to be in and a pandemic followed suit. So career opportunities aren't a wash. Post-politician or post-political life isn't an automatic, you know, go sit and get her for anybody. There's no great gravy train out there for people to hop on, contrary to popular belief. And a lot of my colleagues would have found it very difficult to adjust to life post-politics. And I'm really conscious of that. I say found it difficult to make ends meet and to get, you know, careers up and running and to re-establish themselves. We're all people in our media years at some stage of life and in our 50s and 60s typically and it's not that easy to just because you're a former politician gives you no entitlement to any work or anything like that so I'm very conscious that I was particularly lucky that I had a time my own choosing that my own exist and I think that helped and even with the pandemic you know I I did all right for myself post politics and all of that so I'm very happy that way but very conscious that I was very lucky as well. And finally then, Jim, I suppose there's a lot of, particularly in Figuel, a lot of politicians who, like you say, they aren't very old, they're in their 40s and 50s maybe, but have been around the block a long time, have attained a lot of high office, you know, Leo Varadkar, Coveney, Pascal Donoghue, have sort of done it all, uh, but are very young. Having gotten out of the game, what advice would you give to them about sticking with it or not sticking with it? Um, I'd be loath enough to kind of give anyone advice. I mean, I wouldn't be going around saying to these people, oh, get out and the first chance you get, or I wouldn't be saying stay in there. Like, it's a very personal decision, and there's so many factors will, um, you know, input into that. It, you know, it depends on family and stages they're at, if, if that's a, a consideration. Geography is a big consideration. Um, and didn't just genuinely, like, some people are very, very happy in that lifestyle of politics. You know, they genuinely are immersed in it and, you know, love the the balls they get from it and genuinely enjoy being, I suppose, you know, central stage, if you like, or, you know, a focus of, of attention anyway. And, and, and I think that's as appropriate in government and as it is in opposition. So, I mean, I couldn't blanketly say to any one of the names we've just mentioned there, um, the senior Fine Gael politicians who are still relatively young um, men and our women, as it may happen, I couldn't genuinely say, oh, God, you should get out. It's great once you get out after. It, it is really for everyone to make their own decision. 
It certainly was a, a very smart decision for me. It was a brave decision and courageous one to take. It worked out very well for me. And I'd highly recommend it from my, you know, position. But that's not for everybody. And I'd be very aware of that as well. That's then a bit of politician in me, Sean, as you can hear. And that was Jim Daly, former government minister. And why he left politics and why he's loving it since he did. Another edition of Let Me Explain out on Thursday, looking at the security details around US presidents when they travel abroad ahead of Joe Biden's planned visit to Ireland. So I will chat to you then.